Okay, good morning, gentlemen. We are on 61B at the bottom, and we're just finishing up. Um, it's interesting that when it introduces Nazar, it says, B'nai Yisrael, sons of Israel. Now, the whole Torah is the sons of Israel. Why does it say it by Nazar? So we said in some cases it comes to exclude non-Jews, that even though, for example, non-Jews can bring korbanos, we wanted to say that they're excluded. They, sorry, they can't be a Nazar. They can't bring any Nazar korbanos. So uh, then we had a new question, though, but the source that the word B'nai Yisrael comes to exclude non-Jews, that exact same source, and that was by Erchen, that was a specific kind of donation when you donate uh, the value of a person, where it says B'nai Yisrael. So over there, it also says the word Ish. And a non-Jew is also an Ish. He's a man. And so it, over there, it said that in some ways they're included, and in some ways they're excluded. And guess what? It uses the exact same wording over here by Nazar. It starts out B'nai Yisrael, and then it says Ish. So we've got to find, seemingly, we've got to find a way to include and exclude non-Jewish Nazars. So what is the inclusion and what is the exclusion? That is the question. So um, uh, the Gemara is trying some different uh, options here. In other words, we're looking at that. Uh, we've tried a, a few different uh, points of what maybe they could include and what maybe they can't include and why would they be excluded. Um, and keep in mind that a korbanos, if somebody wants to do something and bring an offering, non-Jews can reach a certain level of holiness. We were trying to say before that they can't really have impurity because they don't have that whole purity and impurity. Um, but uh, that's what we're looking at now. Um, so let's go to the bottom here. Ema, three lines from the bottom. Maybe what it is is the following. Really, non-Jews could be Nazars. But there's a special halacha that Jews, uh, that they're connected to their fathers and they can use their father's funds for Naziris. Uh, the Yisrael, Megalchan al Naziris avim, but non-Jews, pagans, cannot uh, take a haircut on the Zira Savihem. There's a, a very strong concept, actually. We were just talking about that upstairs, about that uh, they, they were, when we're commanded, we're commanded for future generations, that uh, we see things as part of a uh, Lador Vidor, you know, generation to generation. Non-Jews, not necessarily. In fact, every generation does their own thing. But for us, we want, we want our kids to be doing the same stuff we're doing that our grandparents did, uh, we're going to sit at the same Seder that uh, our, we grew up with. We want our kids to be at the same kind of Seder. So maybe that's what it's excluding non-Jews from. Uh, they could be a Nazar, but they can't use their dad's Nazar funds. So Morris said, So I would have said, well, if they can't use their dad's Nazar funds, maybe as we turn to today's page, they shouldn't even be able to be a Nazar. Ish, it says Ish. So what's wrong with this explanation? So the Gemara says, Actually, this rule that you, you can use your dad's Nazar funds isn't written in the Torah. That's Halacha Moshe Misinai. And we had this concept yesterday. It can't be that the Pusik's coming to tell you that the Halacha Moshe Misinai doesn't apply to non-Jews. <laughs> the whole idea of Halacha Moshe Misinai is there's certain things that Torah doesn't address. 
But those were part of the instructions that Moshe gave uh, that the Jewish people were given. But those, if the Torah didn't address them, you can't tell me the Torah excluded a non-Jew from them. So, therefore, that's why we didn't like this explanation. And we went back to the previous explanation that non-Jews just can't be Nazars. Uh, that's what we wanted to say. Um, that's, um, that's, that's what we want to come out. Okay, fine, moving on. So this, even though the Gemara sounds like now, it has the words, if so, which makes it seem like it's connected, most people say the next piece is not connected. In other words, we, and we spent the previous page with this issue that we are excluding non-Jews from being a Nazar. On the other hand, we have this Pasuk of Ish, what do we do with it? Uh, and so we want to know, um, what do we do with the Ish? Um, so uh, that, that's, that, that, was the, that was the dilemma that we were in over here. How do we include and exclude them from something and not from something else? That was, that was what we were looking for. Okay, moving on. So it says like this, Ish, uh, we're on the subject of when the Torah uses the word Ish, what is that? It doesn't have to say a man. Obviously, it's talking to a man. In fact, usually a man comes to include a non-Jew. So the, 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 we're on that subject of the drasha of the word ish. It says, ish ki yafli neder This is a pasik about taking a vow, that people can take vows. Uh, so, lumily, why does it say over there, by vows, the universal word man, mankind? Mikti, so more said, iskish erchen the nedorim. There are two kinds of vows. One is an erkan vow, a donation vow, and one is a regular uh, a promise. The Omer Kra, Ishki Yafli Vatanya, and we learn by Nidorim, Ish Ish By vows, the most common vow was, I'm, if, if I get through this alive, I'm going to give a donate, I'm going to bring a korban. I'm going to offer myself. I'm going to give uh, something to Bezamigdish. Shame no Jim, Nidorim Vinadavos. I'm going to give Nidorim Vinadavos. Those are two different kinds. One is where you say this animal will be a Corbin, and, and the other one is you say, I'm going to bring a, bring a big fat cow. I'm going to bring a Corbin. So non-Jews could do that too. So that's where we learn by Nidorim that non-Jews can, uh, make, can bring Corbanus. Again, not, not Nazar, but it says Ish, that we learn they could bring Corbanus. Ish ki yafi be'erchen lamali. So why does it say uh, by these other types of vows, of donations that go to the temple, it also says a man, El ishmi boile, it comes to include the following list, can't come to uh, include non-Jews. We said actually before that non-Jews don't give that kind of donation to the temple, this uh, value. So what does it come to include? So um, it, it's a different concept, a totally different Russia, not, not dealing with non-Jews, but dealing with maturity that people that take vows, they have to be a man. They have to know what they're saying. Uh, that you have to be old enough to know what your words mean. If, you're, if somebody uh, is a kid or whatever and doesn't know what they're saying, those vows aren't binding. But an ish, or a mufla samakla ish, a person who's old enough that he's almost at bar mitzvah, he can uh, make a vow and that vow will be binding. That's why it uses the word a man you have to be somebody. Kids say things that it's all nonsense. You know, sometimes when kids, unfortunately today, or even adults say nonsense. But in the old days, when people said something, it was true. So ish means, you know, you're a man and you say something, it's supposed to be true. No fake news, right? Uh, so the word says, this works, this Russia, if you say that's a Torah concept. 
but there is an opinion that really menatora only bar mitzvah works even if you're mature it's not going to be binding so we're back to the drawing board what does this word ish come to teach you maybe it's coming to tell you for non-jews um they don't have bar mitzvah because they never get bar mitzvah they go with so it comes out really kind of an interesting place where the Gemara is in right now that non-Jews, as soon as they know what they're saying, as they're old enough to, that they're, they understand what they're committing to, then their word is binding. So it comes out a 12-year-old non-Jew, if they, they, their commitment, they're required to keep. Whereas a Jew, we don't have to until bar mitzvah. Until we're bar mitzvah or bas mitzvah, we're not in the... Um, it comes out that it, non-Jews, it goes totally by intellect. You can't say, wait for their bar mitzvah. <laughs> there is no bar mitzvah. So, like, at what point will a non-Jew be obligated? So you have to go with their, their they, they're going to have to have an assessment. That's the mufla samaklish. Uh, so that works if you say Jews can take this kind of vows and not non-Jews. And I would have said they can't be the object of vows. So then you could say... Um, uh, then you could say that this word ish is extra for this drasha. But according to the opinion, um, it's again, so everybody had agreed, it says sons of Israel, and sons of Israel always excludes non-Jews. And so non-Jews can't give to this specific fund called the Erkin Fund by donating the value of a person. Uh, Non-Jews can donate korbanos, but they don't donate the value of a person. But what about if somebody gives their value? Tamilomar ish. So um, uh, we, we said that it says ish, that they could be, that you can give a non-Jew's value uh, to the temple. He can be the object of Erechim. So afilu tenach ben Kodesh. So Gemara says, well, that should be obvious. Even a baby, a month old, bar aruche has a value. When you give the value of a person, why would you need to say that you could give a non-Jew? We're talking about, uh, it's really a human value. It's almost like you give a value of a servant. A uh, non-Jew has a value as a servant. So he wouldn't be any different if you could give a baby a month old. Of course, of course you could give a non-Jew. So according to that, So what does that come to include? Um, it would include a non-Jew who's uh, older. The the who, even if he's older, um, uh, even if he doesn't really understand what he's saying, he's obligated um, uh, by, uh, by a Jew, he has to be, it uses the word kiyafli, he has to know what he's saying. By a non-Jew, it's saying maybe we don't have that requirement of the kiyafli that we have to, uh, we have to test his intellect, but if he's, if he's older, it's, it's almost like the opposite. Before we were saying that he doesn't have to be an adult as long as he knows, now we're saying if he's an adult, even if he doesn't know. So why does it say that same term by Nizirus? Uh, so basically we're in Drusha territory over here, and we're trying to in the word Ish, and we're trying to understand where these halachas of Jews and non-Jews intersect. And it uses the same term by vows, as it, which again, it has to do with being able to make the vow. It uses that by Nidorim. So, Mikti, let's see. Iskish, Nizirus, and Nidorim. Nizirus and Nidorim are connected. Kiyafi, Lamali. 
So what, why does the Torah use this word uh, when he makes a commitment? What special halacha is it teaching us? So the Gemara says, this is a throwback to something we learned in the beginning of the Mesech, this comes to include that a person can make another vow uh, even if they don't uh, speak out the whole thing. They, they, even if they just say, me too. Or the guy with the long hair walks by and you say, aha, me, you know, I, me too. Oh, I like it, you know, that uh, we had that before, that normally you got to say, I promise not to drink wine and become Tameh for 30 days and bring all the offerings. People don't usually say all that. Or I promise to be a Nazar. Sometimes they don't say all that either. So we learn out that a person, um, sometimes you can commit to owe money just by raising your hand. You know, you know, we, the... Uh, I mean, the truth is that what, what they have you sign on the internet, you know, you don't know what you're signing, you know, you just go like this and they, you know, and all of a sudden they say you committed, right? You, you, uh, um, so this idea that you can commit to certain things, uh, even though uh, it's not so clear from what you said that, yes, you, you put your ex there. Detmar, where do you see this? Uh, a, a handle, a person said a partial word, which isn't totally clear. Abai says, that's a commitment. Rabbi says, that's not a commitment. So you're right. Like Abai, uh, it works out very good that it uses this uh, same expression by Naziris as Nadorim to tell you that just like for vows that you can be stuck with a commitment, even if you didn't enunciate it, you just raise your hand when they were making the auction, uh, you're in trouble. Is that, the animal auction still work that way? You just go like this? And you, no, yeah. Exactly what happens. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, even though you didn't you say anything. Yeah, yeah. I'll be, I'll be careful, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I, right. yeah. I don't know how they can speak that fast. Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's the same thing, that, that it's binding in, in Torah law and it's yeah. binding in Nazar law. If you just go like this, okay, 30 days of long hair for you. And, uh, so El uh, Rava, but yeah. No, that's exactly what we're saying. B'nai Israel comes to exclude. I'm thinking that a non-Jew can't give a value on another non-Jew, but maybe if he says, I want to give the Erech of that Jew, that maybe that might work for him, maybe. That's what we're saying. It says B'nai Yisrael. B'nai Yisrael means Erechon doesn't apply to non-Jews. So uh, that we started with that, that non-Jews are excluded from Erechon, but then it says ish, which means they're included. So we're saying they're excluded from taking the vow, but they can be the object of the vow. Uh, and they can't, they can't pin it on another Jew's value? No, no, no. This is, again, anything having to do with the base Amigdash or the temple, we're sensitive to. Uh, what, what we were trying to say before is that a non-Jew can be a Nazar, he just can't bring the Nazar offerings. Uh, but then we were saying, well, maybe... It's almost like he's stuck being a permanent Nazar then. How does I, I guess he doesn't. That's, that's a good... He'll have to ask a Shiloh. I don't know how he's going to gonna deal with that. But the more then wanted to say maybe it's, it's, it's Wait, coming... I thought he couldn't even become one because that's what, they, that's what they're disputing with the, the definition of ish. ish. So yeah. ish came to include something. So we were trying to say maybe he can become a Nazar, but he just can't bring the offerings. B'nai Yisrael can bring Nazar offerings, but not the non-Jew. Oh, I was thinking he wasn't part. They were trying to prove that Ish did not include a non-Jew. 
Yeah, so the B'nai Yisrael was the not including the non-Jew. The Ish was including. The man, a non-Jew is a man also. The sons of Israel, that's, that's only a not a non-Jew. So we try to separate B'nai Yisrael from Ish. Correct. Oh, I was just the opposite on this whole thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, that, that, that was yesterday. You missed that. No, that was the Shabbos. Uh, but, uh, um, so today, though, a Jew and a non-Jew are in the same position. They could accept the zeros, but they couldn't end it. So that was one explanation. We tried to come up with other explanations, but the other ones didn't stand. Uh, we were trying to say, um, uh, we were trying to come up with other, maybe they could be a Jew can be a permanent Nazar and a non-Jew can't be a permanent Nazar. Or maybe a Jew can, uh, can make a vow for their kids and a non-Jew can't. Or maybe a Jew... Uh, can use his father's funds, and a non-Jew can't. We were we were trying to find some other part of Naziris that a non-Jew can't do, but you're right. In the end, we the one that we go back to is that a non-Jew could be a Nazir but can't bring the offerings. To that. That's that's that seemed to stand. That correct. That's that was the last Mohican, the last one standing. Because uh, we kept on trying to find another element of Naziris that wouldn't apply, and we really didn't come up with anything. So we're kind of back to the drawing board. Maybe they can be a Nazar, they just can't bring the Nazar offerings. Uh, now, if they could take a vow, if a non-Jew can, can vow or can bring a Corbin, so why can't they say no more wine? You know, why wouldn't that, you know, they want to do that? Uh, the question is, what do they get from that? Would they have the whole, you know, like if they, uh, we get holiness and we get to bring, I think I mentioned to you that uh, we want to do all mitzvahs at least once in a lifetime. In fact, in Israel, you can, uh, they'll sow you a piece of land so you can do Shemitah and you can do Truma. And, my, and you can go on a tour where they'll find you a bird that you can send away the mother bird. And uh, it's because you have so many religious Jews there and everybody wants to do a mitzvah. You should, every person should try to do a mitzvah that he, at least once in a lifetime, you know, if you've, uh, uh, if you've uh, never... Uh, um, taking care of a widow, if you've never visited the sick, if you've never, uh, hopefully a person's done, uh, returned a lost object, but a person should look to try to do every, uh, we, to be a healthy Jew, you want to do every mitzvah once in a lifetime. So if you want to bring the offerings, you could be a nazar to bring those offerings, and non-Jew wouldn't be able to bring the, the offerings represent a certain closeness to Hashem. And uh, you can't, as a non-Jew, you can never, you know, unless you accept mitzvahs, you become a Jew, you can never get as close as a Jew can. Uh, and so with a, a shlamim to be like whole with a Kodesh Baruch Hu and, you know, or those type of, you know. So only a Jew can get to do those things by being a nazir. But according to Rava, what is he going to do? Um, right now, though, we got, we changed the subject, uh, according to most people, which, and we went from the nazir vows to general vows, and we wanted to know about this um, uh, this word ish coming to include something uh, in general vows. And we said over there that it came to include partials. Even if you say, aha, me too, then you're bound by things. So, but the more I said that works if you follow that opinion. That even if you say words that are not fully committing, and it, uh, it can still be binding, but according to Rava, what are you going to say? Elakiyafi, what is he going to do with that? We're about a paragraph up. So the more answers me, boy, Leila Kedriftarfin. We use that for Riftarfin. Ditanya. Over there, he said, what if a person says the two guys are in betting mode? It's uh, some people, they like to bet. I'll bet that's this. 
I'll be a nozer, I'll be a monkey's uncle if, I'm, if that's so-and-so. And the guy, I'll be a monkey's uncle if it's not so-and-so. I, the funny thing is, uh, I, I remember conversations like that growing up, where there were certain people who just wanted to, oh, you know, would, were willing to, you know, I'll bet this, or I would say that, you know. So uh, the question here is, can you make yourself a nozer that way? I'll, if he's, a, all right, a nozer if it's him, nozer if my team wins, nozer if, uh, no, I'll be a nozer if your team loses, right? So... So there is an opinion that says that won't work uh, for Nazar. He learns out that Nazar, you have to say, I will be a Nazar. You can't say, I'll be a Nazar if. That works like a tarmel. What are you going to say? What do they learn from this word? That a man makes a commitment. So Gemara says we can use that for a different Russia. And again, we're just trying to use, we got onto the subject of darshaning uh, when the Torah uses the word a man in an extra way, in which it does use that by vows, so what does it come to teach us? So he says, Mi We could use it for the following. He says the idea that certain vows can be removed is one of those things that flies in the air. The word flying in there is an interesting statement in of itself. Uh, it means that it's difficult to prove from the words of Scripture that you really could remove vows. It's one of those things that uh, uh, it, uh, it's flying, meaning it's difficult to prove. And there's really no strong uh, reference to it. Relazer says, no, Yeshua Mishisamku. There is a hint to this conception, Emma, because it says, Ish kiyafli pamin, that it implies that we do sometimes analyze a person's words. Echalaf, um, first, when we determine what he forbid, what's forbidden and what's permitted. The second time is, if he wants to petition the court to nullify it, so then the court looks at it and says, did you really mean it? So there is, uh, you could learn from here that, uh, a source that the court could nullify vows. So again, we started on this mission today uh, because the extra word ish by Nazar, and we showed that in other cases, the why does it say man? Every, everybody's a man, and it's not a man excluding a woman. So we had to go on a darshaning search to find out what to do with it. So first we were dealing strictly with Nazar, then we went into non-Nazar territory, to vow territory, to try to, because it used that word extra by the word kiyafli when a person takes a vow, and so we went through a couple different halachas uh, to find a good drusha for the word ish. And we mentioned, uh, the last thing we mentioned was the concept that there, you can petition a court to nullify a vow. Is that something that you can find a strong reference to in the written Torah? Um, by the way, according to some people, the destruction of the second temple, uh, there was a Jewish king that angered the non-Jewish king because he broke his vow, that the non-Jew made him swear that he'd be loyal to him, and, uh, um, and he wasn't because he petitioned the Sanhedrin. And there was a whole discussion about the non-Jew said, I, I didn't know why, you know, if you make a promise, what do you mean you petition the court? You can't get out of a promise. They would love that, you know. Uh, you know, you made a vow, I swear. Well, you know, even today, like the courts, you know, you say, I swear. Well, somebody should tell them, oh, you can go to Basin, they can get you out of it. <laughs> they, they assume that you can't get out of swearing, right? So it's not something that you, it's not something obvious in the Torah that there is such a thing as uh, getting out of your word. I mean, obviously you can't break your word, but well, so then what is Heter Nadorim? 
So the Gemara says, yeah, there is a hint to it uh, that it's not that you break your word, it's that we analyze it carefully in the context of how it was made, and there are times when we could say, had you known this, would you have made this vow based on what you said then, uh, and then we can find a way to remove it. Again, so it's just, uh, we went into that subject as we turned the page. Okay. Back to what we discussed earlier, that servants and women can also be another. So we said before that women are stronger than servants because servants are owned by their master and they can't say no to their master. So if their master says, I want you to drink, uh, they have to drink. Uh, so, uh, or if they say, I want you to work in the cemetery today, they, I want you to deal with that dead body, they'll have to deal with that dead body, right? It's just a, uh, a uh, servant's, they don't own their right to say no to their master. So, and it could be once they're freed, uh, if they're ever free, they'll have to be the Nazar. But uh, they can be a Nazar, but only with the permission of their master. Whereas women, um, husbands do have, first of all, if a woman's single, she could be a Nazar. But if a woman's married, a husband is given one right to stop it at the beginning. And if he doesn't do that, then he's stuck with it. And then she can, uh, then he has no right to stop her from being a Nazar. So, in one way, servants are stricter. The husband does have the right to remove it from the wife. If, when she first makes it, the husband says, no way, he's not going to let her be a Nazar, then she never will have to do that vow. Even if she gets divorced, uh, even if he dies, that he removed it. But you don't remove the vow of a servant. The servant's an adult. He made a vow. He just can't do it now that he's working for you. But if, he's, uh, if he, uh, if he go, gets freed or, or he's on his own, he'll have to keep it. Or uh, let's say uh, if you, uh, um, you like part of the Naziris you're comfortable with and part you're not, he'll still have to keep it. If you nullify your wife's vow, it's nullified forever. If you nullify your servant's vow, once he gets free, He's going to have to keep the vow. Tan Rabban, Lama Rabba Kofun Nazir, Savalim Nador. The Gemara says, Why is it that the master can force him uh, not to keep his Naziris, but he can't force him not to keep his vow or Erkan? My Shnab, what's the difference? By Nazir, the Torah says that you are forbidding your soul. So you can only make this vow if you own the rights to your work. A servant doesn't own the rights to his own self. Therefore, he can't independently make a vow to be a Nazar. So the Gemara says, if that's true, so then how can he make any vow? Doesn't he own it to his boss to do whatever the boss wants? What kind of vow can a servant make that the master can't nullify. There's a cluster of grapes sitting in front of him. And he says, I swear, I ain't touching that. So, by a neder, if he swear he's not going to eat this grape, but he could eat other grapes, the master can't force him to eat this one. It's not going to affect his service if he doesn't eat this particular plate of grapes. Gabin Naziris, by a Nazir, the key Mitzir Baha'i, if once you swear, the Nazir swears, I'm never drinking wine, 
Itzer Bekulo, he'll never be able to drink wine. That, Motzi Kofrele. Because a nazar is not just a one-time, one-grape deal. It's all grapes. Uh, it could be that the only real drink they had in those days was wine. And so if he wouldn't drink, he'd always be thirsty, he'd always be weak. Uh, and so uh, even if there's a particular cup of grape juice or grape he's not going to eat, he could have, so if it's just a promise, so don't eat this one, you'll eat another one. But if, you're, if he takes the nazar vow, that means he's never going to eat grapes. The Memorial said, Yeah, but the case of the vow, maybe that's the only grape for supper, is this one cluster. The Elo Ochole, and if he doesn't eat it, Cholish, he's going to be weak. How, you could argue even by a vow that he has no permission uh, to swear he won't eat a grape because maybe it'll affect his working for the boss. Uh, it's like when, you, in, I think, uh, um, uh, when you're in the army, you have to eat. Like, you can't just fast or the, um, there was, there was, uh, certainly when you are in the service of a king um, or even in the, um, there, there were discussions about Jews being in, a, uh, uh, in Russia. That was always an issue, uh, getting kosher food in the army, you know, where they, they had to eat because otherwise they couldn't do military service, you know. And uh, if you didn't, uh, if you fainted or whatever, you were hurting the, uh, uh, you'd be weak and you, you, you don't own your labor. It belongs to the government. El so he says, well, maybe the case is not about grapes. It's about Kherzen. It's just about a snack. It's about some grape seed. Uh, if this guy says, I'm not eating that grape seed, so you can't force him. You can never eat it. So, the assumption here is, I guess, the grape seed isn't the same as, as, as grapes. It won't make him weak. The Gabi Nedora, Milo Eskina, but Lumora said, even grape seed, maybe that's all you got to eat. She'll be weak. So the grape seed didn't actually answer anything different than what we said before. Again, we're looking for what is it uh, that a servant can't be a nuzzer because he's going to affect his work for the boss, but he could promise not to eat a certain one. What, what's the difference? Why is it that the master can force him to break his naziris and eat the grapes? But he doesn't, can't force him if he made a vow. Or if he takes an oath. My timeuk, the reason is, it says like this. It says a person can take a vow to do good or bad. Just like uh, a person can take a vow if it's something optional to do that he's not required to do, he can promise to do it. Even if he's going to take a vow to hurt himself, I'm going to fast. I'm not going to eat. It has to be something he's able to do. But if he's, going to, uh, if he's going to swear to do something to somebody else who he has no authority over, that he would have no, uh, no control over. So um, let's see the Rashi here. Uh, last thin line. says, Why can the master force him? She'im not a benazer. Let's say he promised to be a Nazar, but ain't Rabbo Kofo, and the Rebbe, his master, doesn't force him. He can never drink wine. And servants can take a vow. Uh, you don't, you're not required to nullify such a vow because he doesn't own himself. 
the Kenidorim now, if you below Kviya, even if you, your master doesn't say, I don't want you to do it, he can drink because he doesn't have the ability, uh, he doesn't have the independence to make vows. This is a new explanation that the reason he has the independence to, to be a Nazar, or at least if he ever gets his freedom, he'll be a Nazar. But to make vows when he's a servant, he doesn't have that control to make those vows. Okay, moving on. New mission. Ober Mikaneged Panov. All right. So he promised to be a Nazar, and somehow he no longer works for his boss. Rashi, how did he get away from that? You're really not supposed to free servants. Rashi, he ran away. So he runs away. Does he have to be a Nazar or not? So here we have a Machlokas. He's, he's still really uh, uh, an Evid. Right, but he's a, uh, what do they call that? A slave, a runaway slave. Uh, missing in action. <laughs> a Kanani, I believe. Um, that's a good point about an Evid Ivri. We didn't really. I think all along we've been talking about an Evid Kanani. That the reason why is I don't know that you own an Evid Ivri, his body, you own his labor. But uh, uh, it's, it's worth thinking about. But I was assuming it was an Evid Kanani until now. So the servant runs away. So the question is, he promised to be a Nazar. Does he have to keep his promise now that he's a runaway? Can he drink wine? Rameir says no. Because now that he no longer works for the boss, he's on runaway. He's a religious runaway. So he's going to have to keep his vow. He's going to have to let his hair grow and he's going to have to not drink wine. Rabbi Yossi says no, he could drink. Because his master had told him, even though he ran away, he's still a servant. Let's see the Gemara. What's the argument here? What's the argument? He made a vow to be a nose of the master, said no way. I need you to work hard and drink wine and uh, you, you got to do it. And then he runs away. So the question is, does his vow binding or do we still treat him as the servant? What's the machlokas? Maybe they're arguing in Shmuel. Domo Shmuel ha-mafkir avdo If you give up ownership of your servant, if you have no control over him, you say, get out of here. Uh, he goes free. And he doesn't even need freedom papers. He automatically gets his freedom. And so our question is, if you have a servant that's no longer under your control, is he automatically considered free? And if he's considered free, he'll have to be another. If he's not considered free, if he's still your servant, he doesn't have to be another. Remeir, who said he's not allowed to drink, that's because he holds he's considered free. He better not drink. And he doesn't hold the shmuel. No, he didn't get his walking papers. He's still a slave. He's still a slave. He's allowed to drink. So again, we're talking about a slave that promised to be a Nazar. And his master said, as long as you're my slave, you ain't going to be a Nazar. So the question is, he ran away. So is he still considered the slave and therefore he could still drink? Or is he not a slave? So maybe that's the Maklokas. Um, uh, when he runs away, since he didn't get his freedom papers, he's still considered a servant of the boss and he, therefore he's allowed to drink. So Morris said, no, that might not be our issue. Kuli Alma, it could be everybody agrees to Shmuel. That when you, on your own, give up your service, your servant, so then he doesn't need freedom papers. But this is different. This is, he, he's a runaway over here. Uh, the one who over here, you're hoping to get him back. So you can't say that he's like free and now he could drink. So the one, the Omar, who says, 
he can drink sover, sof, sof, mahadar, hadar, va'asigabe. One who holds that he's allowed to drink, I, he made a promise to be a nazar. The answer is he's not independent yet. He's still a servant. I, he ran away, but he's still a servant and he'll be caught or he'll end up going back. So, he's still required to drink wine because when his master gets him back, he doesn't want him back to be somebody who's a weakling and not in shape. So he wants him to stay drinking in wine. So even though he ran away, he's required to stay healthy and not keep his naziris and not be pale uh, to please his master. And the one who says, no, now he's a nose and he can't drink, he says that actually the master is happy that he shouldn't drink uh, because at least let him have the benefit of coming, uh, of coming back. You know, as long as he goes away, he'll have to be a nuzzer. Let him come back and work for me, and he'll get to drink wine. Let it be a pig. Maybe he'll come back to work for me so he can have a drink. It'll be worth it to get the, to get the, uh, to get the wine. So, uh, okay, that's the end of this discussion here about the servant who took the vow to be a nuzzer. And in theory, he is a nuzzer, but in practice, since he has no rights over his labor, he can't do something that his master wouldn't like. And our question was, what happens when he runs away?